0: Acts chapter 7, while you're turning there, I want you to think about something that I hope you'll understand, and I hope to explain it the rest of the way as we go through the evening, but I want you to think about this, distractions add weight that makes us unbalanced. Okay, it's somewhat, a little bit, you got to think about it just a little bit, but distractions add weight that makes us unbalanced. I remember as a kid having a top. Anybody know what a top is? Okay. It's not a shirt, ladies, or a blouse. It's something that you spin, and it will spin for a really long time. They're tons of fun. I loved them, and I loved to see how long a top would spin or how long I could get it to spin. And it seemed that the harder I spun it, the worse it did. You seemed to just have to spin it really nicely, and it would last the longest. In fact, the Guinness World Record time for a tops continuous spin is this blew my mind 27 hours, 9 minutes, and 24 seconds. That's like more than a day. That's incredible. That is the Guinness Book World Record of the top spin. I would love to own that. It's probably worth $18 trillion or something. But I would love to see that because I would just sit there and watch it for 27 hours, 9 minutes, and 24 seconds. A top is a well-made top, excuse me, has a perfect center of gravity. It's perfect. It's wonderful to watch. It just sits there and spins in a wonderful place. Its core is perfectly aligned. Now, I was a little brother. I have an older sister. She's two years older than I am. I also have a little brother. He's three years younger than I am. You know what little brothers do when you spin a top? Yeah, you all know. They try and wreck it. You sit there and you spin it and you're just watching it and they'll throw something at it. Or you'll sit there and spin it and they'll come over and just smack it. Not that I ever did any of these things. It's funny now though. I watch my kids, and Caleb will get a top or something to the effect from Sunday school, and Maya or Zoe will come over and do the exact same things that I did. You reap what you sow. Any disruption would drastically reduce the top's longevity to spin. It was, it's so much fun to watch it, but it is not so fun when somebody messes it up. When somebody throws something at it, or it runs into a... a a piece of grout on the tile floor and messes it up a little bit. Anything takes away from it. And see, the same can be true in our spiritual lives. We can allow distractions to cause us some unbalance. And get this, it will drastically reduce our effectiveness. You see, God created us in a perfect form, in a way that would be pleasing to him. And you know what happened? Sin messed it up. Sin distracted us, and so no longer are we as effective as we possibly could be. I think that's kind of where we're going to go here in in this passage. And I I think this is what the Bible is trying to teach us tonight. Acts chapter 7. I want you to go almost all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 51. Verse 51. The Bible says this. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears... Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Does anybody know who's speaking here? Stephen. This is the story of Stephen. This is the sermon of Stephen. And here he is, he's berating these, these religious people. So he is talking to them and he's giving them ye stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart. He's giving it to them. And so I want to take some time tonight and I want to look at unity's core. Unity's core. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be here before you. Father, I pray that we will learn something from Stephen's message tonight and from Stephen's life that would help us not be distracted in our lives father that we would keep you forefront that we would keep you where you need to be father that you would give us great effectiveness for you we love you so much thank you for all you've done in Jesus name amen when I'm studying a passage of scripture I like to ask myself several questions first one is who is he talking to Who is he talking to? So let's go back. Who is Stephen talking to? Go back to Acts chapter 6. We already looked at this a couple weeks ago. But Acts chapter 6, look at verse 9. This is so important. This is so important. We need to understand who it is he's talking to. Okay, verse 9, the Bible says, Then there arose certain of the what? Synagogue. The synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. Okay? Jump down to verse 11. Then they, those people, stubborn men, which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God, verse 12, and they stirred up the people. Watch this. Who? Who are the people? And the elders and the scribes. And came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. You see, what who he's talking to is the religious leaders. That is so important. He's not talking to worldly, ungodly pieces of people that are, that are outside Gentiles. No, he's talking to religious people. He's talking to people that have spent time literally with God, have seen God face to face. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, they have seen him face to face. This is who he's talking to. The elders, the scribes, those of the synagogue. But the question is this, why was he saying these things? Why did he begin preaching this message? Why is he calling them uncircumcised of heart? Why is he doing this? Look at verse 13. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and came, and then verse 13 says, and set up false witnesses which said this, this man ceaseth not to speak, watch this, blasphemous words against what? This holy place. What holy place? The synagogue. Good. Excellent. Just stay with me, okay? I'm going to ask you a lot of questions tonight. Stay with me. The synagogue, okay? This holy place and what? The law. Verse 14. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy what? This place. And shall change the customs which Moses delivered us i want you to think about something what does the word blaspheme mean does it have anything to do with a holy place does it have anything to do with the law no blaspheme is only considered bad when it's against god That's exactly what blasphemy is. It's it's saying things against God. It's, It's pulling down God to man's level. It's blasphemous. And so for the next 49 verses from 7 verse 1, in fact, if you look over there, chapter 7 verse 1, then said the high priest, are these things so? So the high priest says to Stephen, are these things true? Is what they're saying true? And then begins the message of Stephen. So for the next 49 verses, Stephen goes through the history of Israel. Why would he go through the history of Israel? He spent time there and shows the pattern of events for the children of Israel. You see, the pattern of events was this. Someone would believe God and do something for God... And then the people would persecute and destroy that person. All the way through this. And I want to walk you through that here. You see, this is not a one-time problem. This is not just one time that they decided that they were going to persecute someone. This is a recurring problem that happens, get this, watch this, generation after generation after generation. Jesus Christ himself told us that this was a problem. Go to Matthew chapter 23 with me. By the way, if you're looking for entertainment purposes in the Bible, go to Matthew chapter 23. Jesus lambastes the Pharisees. Just gives them everything that they need to hear and it's quite entertaining. It really becomes bad when it starts to become convicting though. Matthew chapter 23, look with me in verse 29. Jesus himself said this. Verse 29 Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, watch this now, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous. And say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. So he says, listen. If we're, you know, we, we respect the, the tombs and the places of the prophets. And we want to build them up, the people that were righteous. And we want to glorify them. And so if we were in the room of our fathers, we would not have persecuted those prophets. We would not be partakers in the blood of the prophets. Look what Jesus says. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves... That ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. And so basically what he's saying is the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. You guys are doing the exact same thing that your fathers before you had did. You can say you won't do that. You can say we weren't like that. But you are. How does this happen? How does generation after generation after generation persecute godly people who are following God the very servants of God you see the funny thing about this that i find is they're persecuting the servants of God and claiming to serve the same God what's going on here how is this working why aren't they getting to this place the problem is this they lost the core reason For doing what they were doing. They were being distracted. They were being distracted. I want to give you three distractions from the sermon of Stephen that we should avoid. That we should avoid in our lives. Let's go back to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. I want you to look at verse 8. The first point I want you to see tonight is distracted by envy. Distracted by envy. Acts chapter 7, look with me in verse 8. The Bible says this. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. This is talking about Abraham. And so Abraham begat Isaac. And circumcised him the eighth day, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the 12 patriarchs. So basically, he started from the beginning with Adam, or excuse me, with Abraham, and has been working his way down. And now we pick up the story with Jacob and the 12 patriarchs. Verse 9. And the patriarchs moved with what? Envy. Sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. You see, I want you to think about. The story of Joseph. What was happening with Joseph? Joseph was the youngest of his 12 brethren at the time until Benjamin was born. And he's the favorite child. He's the one that that Jacob gave the coat of many colors and really lifted him up. And he was the favorite because he was of Rachel, his favorite wife. And to add insult to injury, Joseph has a dream. And in that dream, there are sheaves that are out in the field. The sheaves out in the field, his comes to the center, and all the other sheaves bow down to his sheaf. And you know what he does? He goes and tells his brethren, hey guys, listen, I was I had a dream last night, and my sheaf moved into the middle, and all the other sheaves bowed down to it. They didn't like that very much. Not long after, I don't know if it was the next day or how far, but he says, guys, I, I, I had another dream. The sun, the moon, and get this, 11 stars. He's getting pretty specific now. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars, you know what? They all bowed down to me. And even he tells his father, and his father gets upset with him and says, are we going to bow down to you? And so the brothers, out of envy, get that, the Bible very clearly says this, out of envy, they put Joseph in a pit and they plot to kill him. Luckily, Reuben says, no, we shouldn't kill him. Let's sell him. And so a group of Midianitish uh, merchants are coming through and they sell Joseph for 20 pieces of silver, moved with envy. You see, Joseph was following God. Joseph was going to gain power for doing so. Not that we should always expect to gain power from following God, but this was what God had promised him. This is what God had given to him, and so he's going to gain power, and his brother got jealous of that. Instead of rejoicing with him, and instead of working with him, instead of helping him become all that God could make him to become, they were envious. And they allowed their jealousy to distract them from what God had intended for their lives. You see, God intended them to be the 12 patriarchs. God intended them to be the 12 tribes of Israel. God intended them for, to be something great. And it took a, a famine in the land of Israel to get them back to Egypt, to see Joseph, to bow down to Joseph. And so on the story goes and they become reunited again. But the fact of the matter is... It could have been a completely different story. You see, God had it all planned out. God had it all worked out. But you see, they were distracted by envy. This can happen often in our lives and specifically our church. Someone could be having success in another church. And you know what we do? We criticize them. We cut them down. Often we'll even defame the pastor's character like we're running some political ad or something. We'll cut them down and we'll say, oh, they must be doing something unbiblical and, and we, 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 we're very judgmental. You know what the real problem is? We're jealous. Listen, we, we want to have that type of growth. We want to see that type of thing happen. We're jealous of the success they are having. You see, it's easy to do. It's absolutely easy to do. You know what Satan's core is? Satan's core, his center, you know what it is? It's pride. Pride. Satan fell because of pride. You know why? He was envious of God. He wanted God's power. He wanted God's authority. And so he decided he's just going to take over and he's going he's to become like unto God. And God says, oh, no, you're not, and kicks him out of heaven. So Satan at his core is proud. Satan at his core is envious. So when, when Adam and Eve fell, you know what he told them? Don't, you can eat of that fruit. God knows that when you eat of that fruit, you will become as God's knowing good and evil. You know what he did? Made him jealous. Made him envious. So oh, I just want what God is keeping away from me. And so often we do the same thing. Listen, every one of us is a sinner and every one
1: of us has pride in our lives. And we are envious of people. Spouses can envy each other. Envy the success
0: of one spouse or another. Especially in our day and age when men and women both work outside of the home now. The husband may have great success or vice versa. The woman shall have, would have great success and one of the two can get envious of that. And instead of having the perfectly spinning marriage that is running wonderfully, it's being distracted by envy. I'm sure it can happen, but parents can envy their children's success. Church members can envy another church member for maybe something that they were given or something that they received or something that they bought or whatever it may be, but we can be envious of those things. Envy or jealousy will distract you from what God is trying to do in your life. Mark it down. One of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. You see, it's there for a reason. Pay attention. When you start becoming jealous of something, you better get that in check because that is going to be a distraction that is going to add weight. And you are not going to live your life to its full effectiveness. I want to show you the second thing. Number two, they were distracted by self-pity. Let's jump down to verse 23. Acts chapter 7 and verse
1: 23. The Bible says this. And when he was full
0: 40 years old, this is speaking of Moses. It came unto his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. Most of us would know the story of Moses. Here's verse 25 I think is interesting. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses, at the saying it was a stranger in the land, Of Midian, You see, Moses tried to to help his brethren. God put it in his heart. God gave him something to do. Listen, you're going to be the deliverer of Israel. God put that in his heart and he sees an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew and he goes out and does something about it. And the very next day, he goes out and sees two Hebrews fighting. He says, hey, what are you guys doing? You're brethren, you're not supposed to be fighting. And they look at him and they say, who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? He was hoping that they would understand that he's trying to deliver them. But they were too busy in their self-pity. Let's continue on. Look at verse 35. The Bible says, this Moses, whom they refused, saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge. Watch this. The same did God send to be a ruler. And a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. Listen, God sent him. God gave him something. He was to be the ruler. He was to be the deliverer. He brought them out. After that he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt. And in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness, with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers, watch this, would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned again into where? Egypt. Saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us, for as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of the heaven, as is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, ye have offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness. You see, the fact of the matter is here, Moses was God's deliverer of his people. You know what they did? They pushed him away. Why? They just wallowed in their self pity. Oh, we've been slaves for four hundred years. They were just. We didn't even want. To, we don't even want to be rescued. Who made thee a judge and a ruler over us? We're just content with where we are, or so to speak. The fact that I think is interesting is this: they are delivered from the land of Egypt. They're at the Red Sea. And what do they say? They're already out. They're delivered out of the Red Sea. Or excuse me, out of Egypt. They're not in Egypt anymore. They're in, ready to cross the Red Sea. And what do they say? Oh, that we were back in Egypt. You see, self-pity will do something to you that you never even pay attention and never realize that it will do. It will keep you wanting more bad things to happen to you so that people will continue to feel sorry for you. To me, that boggles my mind. You know what? It's even, it goes even further. They're at the promised land. They're on the border. They send in 12 spies. 12 spies go into Canaan. 10 were bad and 2 were good. They come out and they say, we cannot overtake the land. You know what the people say? All
1: oh, that we had done died in Egypt are you kidding me are you
0: kidding me you were slaves you were under oppression you were being beat every single day and you had to make your own brick with and get your own straw, and things were horrible and God wanted to do something with you but you're so self-pitiful that you can't even see past the
1: nose on the end of your face and say, God can do something with this situation. They were swallowed up in self-pity. They had the
0: Eeyore mentality. I love Eeyore. He's so cute, but he drives me nuts. But you know what the interesting thing about self-pity is we enjoy it. I don't understand it, but it's a distraction. We just wallow in it. We get this Eeyore mentality and we just love it. We love the maybe attention it brings. I don't really know, but they are there. And Moses was God's chosen deliverer. God had a plan for them and they pushed it aside for simply, woe is me. 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 They're, at, they're, they're already delivered from it and they're at the promised land. Woe is me. Woe is me. It's an addicting thing, self-pity. And again, it's easy. It's easy for us to feel sorry for ourselves. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I feel sorry for myself at times. It's disgusting. It's terrible. And my wife, thank God, she's a, she's a good lady. She'll say, Get up and do something with yourself. Dust yourself off. Let's keep going. She pushes me. It's great. It's wonderful. But listen, some of us are too easily distracted by self-pity. God wants to do something great in our lives. God wants to use these instances in our life to build us and mold us and shape us and,
1: and help us grow and help us conquer.
0: But we're too busy looking at ourselves to even notice what God's trying to do. But this is another distraction that will keep us from being effective for God. Number three and finally, they were distracted by religious artifacts. Look at Acts chapter 7, 43 please. The Bible says, yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch. And the star of your God, Remphan, figures which he made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Here's another one. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. Which also our father that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers under the days of David. Who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Do you remember what they were trying to protect? Do you remember what the people, the elders and the people of the synagogue were trying to protect? Do you remember? This holy place. The law of Moses. The commandments of Moses. You see, and Stephen is dealing with every single one of these, and he's showing them something again. He says, Solomon tried to build him a house, how be it? Verse 48, the most high dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all? These things. You see, what the children of Israel began to do is this. They began to worship the gods of the people around them. That was a distraction. They began to worship Moloch. They began to worship Baal. We know that from all kinds of stories. Baal worship ended in the book of Jeremiah. When they sent or were taken captive to Babylon. They began to worship all these things. But not only did they worship Other gods, you know what else they began to worship? They began to worship the tabernacle.
1: They began to worship the place where God dwelt. They began to worship the temple that Solomon had built. They
0: began to worship the synagogues, this holy place. Does anybody know the term Nehushtan. It's a biblical term. I want to show it to you. It's in
1: First Kings. Second Kings, excuse me. Verse 18. Nehushtan. Second Kings eighteen. This was the extent of the religious artifacts
0: that they were distracted by. 2 Kings 18, look at verse 4. Watch this. The Bible says, speaking of King Hezekiah, which was a good king and the king of Judah, verse eight, chapter 18, verse 4, he removed the high places. And break down the images and cut down the groves. And watch this right here. And break in pieces what? The brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it the Hush Tan. You know what they began to do? They began to worship the thing that God used
1: to heal them. You see, so often, we can put things up on a
0: pedestal. listen, Did God use the brazen serpent? I'm sorry? Yes, 100%. In fact, John chapter 3 says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I mean, this is an important thing. But they begin to worship that. They began to be distracted by that. They begin to be distracted by the place where God dwelt, the tabernacle. They began to be distracted by the place where God dwelt in the temple. And they began to worship those things and the religious artifacts. And so often we can do the same thing. Listen, this auditorium is nothing. Oh, is it the place we come to worship God? Absolutely. But when this auditorium takes the place
1: of God, we have a problem. The same is true with all kinds of different things. Listen, it could
0: be how we do ministry. Forty years ago, ministry looked and felt and resulted in different things than it does today. But so often we hold on to that because it worked at one point. It worked. And I'm not trying to say we just push off everything. But this is what I'm saying. If you're holding on to something that worked years ago, you are being distracted by religious artifacts. Just like the children of Israel. And Stephen is blasting these guys with it. Listen, there's a problem when we put those things on a pedestal. And say that's the only correct and only way to do things because it did something at one time. What happens is they cause us to lose our core meaning. As I wrap this up, I want you to think about this. If every person in our church would unify around the right core, the right center, we would be an un unstoppable force for god if every person in this church would unify around the right core we'd be an unstoppable force for god so what is the one core pastor yeomans what is the one thing what is what is that thing we should be centered on how do we be avoid avoid being like the children of israel how do we avoid being like the pharisees in matthew chapter 23 how do we avoid this Acts chapter 7, look at verse 51, and I want you to notice three words, excuse me, four words. Watch what he says here again. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist what? The Holy One. The Holy One, okay? Excuse me, the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one. Of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and have not kept it.
1: Two people in one, the Holy Ghost and the just one. You know what the core should be? It should be God. You say, Pastor, you know, we know that. Yeah, but so often we're distracted by the other things.
0: I want you to think with me. Through Bible history, just like Stephen did, every single time if people would have just been full of God and focused and centered on God, what would have happened? Abraham, spoken to of God. Moses, spoken to of God. Joseph, spoken to of God. And and even Jesus, God himself. But so often we hang under that tradition. No, you can't do that. No, you can't take that. No, you can't. God used that before. He might use it again in, in so many different things. But our focus needs to be God. God every single time. You know why? Because things come and things go. Things change constantly in our world. But you know what? There's one thing that never changes. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. He doesn't Change, And so if we can focus on him, if we can keep him at
1: our core, then you know what? And we unify around that. What a great prevailing church will be. Our core should be God. Don't get distracted by someone else's
0: success. Don't get distracted by good and just things that have done wonderful things in the past. Don't get distracted by your own self-pity. Keep God at the core of, listen,
1: keep God at the core of everything you do. Everything. That way you will have the perfect center of gravity. Perfect. You won't be out of
0: balance one way or another because the Bible says a false balance is abomination. Keep the center of gravity. And you know what that will, be, that will do? That will keep you on fire for God. That will keep you spinning and effective for God for years to come. And folks, if one person does that, wow, that would be amazing. But listen, if this group unified around that one core... Literally, the gates of hell, the world would not be able to prevail. It would be an awesome power. Unity's core. Let's unify around God. That's what Stephen was saying. And from that point on, you can look, and we'll look at it a little bit next week. But verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They didn't like that at all. Folks, I hope that you won't be like the Pharisees, but will be like Stephen, who in everything, he was a spirit-filled man, and he just wanted to serve and keep God at his center so that he could be an effective person for God's way. I hope you'll be the same. Let's pray.